Welcome to the Speech Link. I'm your host, Shar Beauchart, and I invite you to listen and learn practical strategies from experienced experts to take your therapy to the next level. Getting a child to say a good er sound is one thing, but getting them to use it consistently is another. Now, you know the easy R program for getting the er, but what about generalization? Well, what about the new R speech practice audios? Kids love to practice them and you quickly access them via QR codes. Go to speechdynamics.com to take advantage of the 40% off sale price. Do it now. Okay, it is that time. Hello to everybody. So glad that you're here. And before we get started, let's address disclosures. Regarding financial disclosures, Dr. Swain and Dr. Schneider receive royalties from their co-authored book, Confidence and Joy, Success Strategies for Kids with Learning Differences, a step-by-step guidebook for parents and professionals. They also receive an honorarium for this podcast. And personally, I too receive an honorarium for the speech link, and I'm a presenter for speechtherapypd.com and receive royalty payments, and I do own Speech Dynamics, Inc. Regarding non-financial disclosures, Dr. Swain is the ASHA VP for Government Relations and Public Policy, and neither Dr. Schneider nor I have any non-financial disclosures to report. So there we have it. Welcome, welcome to our speech link podcast, sponsored, of course, by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm Shar Beauchart, your speech language pathologist host, and I'm glad that you're here for our very beneficial topic, the role of the SLP in building confidence and joy in kids with learning differences. And you're more than welcome to participate. Just type your question or comment into the chat and one of us will read it and our guests will respond. Now, both of these ladies have incredible experience and knowledge, and it's all detailed, or at least a lot of it's detailed, on their speechtherapypd.com speech link page. So to set the stage for our purposes here, I want to hit the biography highlights. Deborah Ross Swain, EDD, CCCSLP, is a national and international speaker and author, and the clinical director and CEO of the Swain Center for Listening communicating and learning. In addition to being a distinguished scholar and fellow of the National Academies of Practice, she is a fellow of ASHA and served as editor of ASHA SIG-17 Perspectives Journal. Dr. Swain is a past president of the California Speech-Language Hearing Association, CASHA, and was the founder and chair for CASHA's Early Intervention and International Committees and she's faithfully served on the board of directors for 10 years. Dr. Swain is the recipient of numerous awards, including awards from CASHA and from California State University, Sacramento, and the Nancy McKinley Leadership Award. In addition to co-authoring the book with Dr. Schneider, Confidence and Joy, Dr. Swain is the author of numerous other books, as well as standardized tests on auditory processing, social communication, auditory phoneme sequencing, and many others. Thank you so much for your contributions, Dr. Swain. My pleasure. Always my pleasure. And Elaine Fogel-Schneider, PhD, CCCSLP, is a faculty member at California State University, Los Angeles, where she teaches fluency, speech sound disorders, and research and communication disorders. She's also the executive director of Touch Time. She presents courses around the world and has impacted literally thousands as a parenting coach and organizational coach. In addition to co-authoring their book, Confidence and Joy, Dr. Schneider is the author of several other books, including, and I really want to get this one, Seven Strategies for Raising Calm, inspired, and successful children, and the highly acclaimed Massaging Your Baby. It's been translated into Chinese and Malay, and she won the Orca Award for that book. She's been a guest on national and local television, radio shows, and podcasts, and has authored articles for national and international publications. Dr. Schneider is known, however, for combining verbal and nonverbal communication, healing strategies, 
for enhancing wellness and resilience in everyday living. Thank you for your contributions, Dr. Schneider. You're welcome. Thank you for having me today. Yes, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to have both of you here. Now, both Dr. Swain and Dr. Schneider are in agreement that during this podcast, we're going to call each other by our first names. So welcome to the speech link, Deb and Elaine. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Yes, yes. Now, you know, I really want to jump in. We've got, oh, about 55 minutes here. And I've read through your book. It's totally practical and very readable. And I really enjoy and love the way that you present the information. And I'm not just touting your book here, but I really do. And as I read through it, I thought, boy, in this day and age, we really need positivity. And I love the thought of helping to build confidence and joy. And I want to talk about what that is in children who perhaps lack confidence and joy in their young lives. And so, Deb, would you start us off by sharing, and then Elaine, you jump in, with what initially ignited your awareness and your desires to kind of pool your knowledge and abilities together to help build confidence and joy in children with learning differences? Happy to just jump in and share that. So in my practice, I have a practice in Northern California, and I'm boots on the ground. I'm a clinician. And most of my particular area of expertise is in processing. And and I've worked with children of all ages, but predominantly little ones. They start out and they struggle. And I noticed early on that many of these children lacked confidence, confidence in learning. And then it kind of morphed into other parts of their lives. And I would tell parents when I conferenced with them after I evaluated them that it was up to us as big people, as the adults in these little ones' lives, to get them from little people to big people with confidence and joy in their hearts. Because if they had confidence and joy, even if they struggled, they could go off and do great things. But once they lost their confidence and their joy for learning, it was a game changer. And so I was saying that to people and giving them strategies for it. And I decided I needed to put it out there. And I'd been working with Elaine on a few cash up projects. And I knew that she had written in an area that her expertise and my expertise be put together to produce something that would benefit others. And when I asked her, she said, yes. And that's how we got started. Okay. Did you want to add anything to that, Elaine? Sure. I can remember the moment that Deb asked me if I would be interested in writing with her. We were in Sacramento. We were uh, meeting with the Department of Developmental Services. We were working on getting the organization to agree to having slippers in the field of early intervention. I mean, that was our mission. We were on a mission And I specifically know where I was standing and the moment that she asked. And I was so like taken aback, like, oh, wow, what a great topic this would be. Because both of us do work so closely with families and with children. And we know the importance of joy and confidence in the lives of them and also their families, working so often with family units and helping to coach them, which is something I also be I do with in my company. It's important and so valuable that there is a way that we can tell them, we can tell families, we can share with them ways that can help them not only have joy and confidence for their children, but also for themselves. Because we find that so many times when parents have children whose confidence and joy may be questioned or challenged, they themselves as parents are having their own joy and confidence challenged as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. You know, as I was reading through your book, I was thinking, you know, confidence does not equate with always competence. And it doesn't always equate with higher IQ. Deb, you were saying that, you know, to have confidence and joy in your heart. 
that high IQ piece is more of a cognitive thing. But just because you have a higher IQ doesn't mean that you're confident and that you have joy. I mean, how do I parse all of this out? And I, you know, I was thinking, because I'm working with one child right now, I'm sort of, you know, I'm, I'm doing other stuff and I'm, you know, I still want to keep my hands in therapy, but I'm not doing a lot of therapy. But if I were in the schools or private practice, how would I explain this to my kids? Kids are sort of, you know, I want to say binary in their emotions. I'm happy. I'm sad, you know, and then you bring in this confidence thing and joy. And I know that just intuitively that joy is not the same as happiness. So how do I explain it? How do I parse all of this out? You know, it's really hard to explain it. It it, it depends on a child's like really their cognitive level, but helping them understand that struggles are a part of life and struggles are relative too. Like what's a struggle to one child may not be a struggle to another. And not only that, You can't tell a child that it's okay, it's not a struggle, you're going to be fine. Because if they're feeling it's a struggle, then they're feeling it's a struggle. And we have to make it better for them. But the thing I want to really emphasize here is this book was written before COVID. And so now we are dealing with a lot more kids with a lot more struggles. And it's huge now because Being sheltered in place and learning on Zoom or distance learning challenged even the toughest child because of the isolation. And when you don't have your support group beyond your family unit, then you lose your confidence because you lose your cheerleaders. You lose your, hey, you're so good at this. And so the strategy that I'm using with every child that comes into me, my office is, hey, what's your superpower? Let's find your superpower. And I can't tell you how many children are going, I don't know, or I don't have a superpower. And I go, you have a superpower, and we're going to figure it out. So I think that's the question that a lot of clinicians can start with. And kind of a roundabout shaggy dog answer to your question. How do you parse it out? I I don't think you have to parse it out as much as you can say, what's your superpower? And their superpower might be collecting something or their superpower might be assembling Legos or their superpower might be running. Who knows what their superpower is? But if we can help a little one identify what that superpower is, then you start the trajectory of building confidence. And when a a child starts that trajectory of confidence, then that joy for building skills, building the joy for learning more and mastering. And it might not have anything to do with academics, but it's that joy for learning that we as the adults in their life can help them discover. Mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. And I know that this is something that we're looking at with just not the little ones, but with all ages. I was just talking to a parent the other day whose child was characterized as having learning differences, having difficulty socializing in school. Grades weren't that bad, but there were many differences in her life. And what she discovered is that she is a great golfer. She can swing that club and she is winning awards for her golfing. And when I was spoke to her, the joy in her voice and in her being that there was something she was accomplishing that she set her goals out for, and she was achieving from that, it was then permeating into the academic arena, so that she was developing friendships within that club of hers, of that golf club. She was feeling better about herself, that now she was fitting in, that there were things about her that other people were saying, great job. I wish I could play as well as you can. 
And it just, again, built her confidence and her joy for something that she could find pleasure with, something that she was good at and getting better and better each day. So we're seeing, as Deb was saying, not just this feeling of joy and confidence for young children, the littlest of kids, but for all ages, for all ages, going into the high school years, going into, you know, as they become adults. I mean, that's what we hope for all children, that as they grow, they grow with confidence, they grow with joy, and they have that ability to live a full life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I could see with that one little golfer girl, that that plants a seed. And it probably grows over time that your confidence grows and it's going to wax and wane and somebody needs to tell her that too. But if you have one thing, I guess, that you're good at, and you know, I'm sitting here thinking if I were in the schools right now, or even if I was in a private practice, I was thinking maybe I could bring in a friend with that child, you know, maybe get permission to bring in a friend because maybe the child, you know, that's in question is not going to know. And yet a friend who sees and knows that child could maybe say, oh yeah, you're always kind to people or you always help people or I see you out there and and if somebody drops something, you always pick it up and help them. And yet that child may not see that as their superhero, you know, element, but maybe a friend or somebody close to them might be able to share in kind of what they see. I mean, that may be something too that we could do. It's so important for kids to be able to be validated by their peers. Mm -hmm. And so That's one of the things that we stress in the book is to build communities of support. It can be a little community or it can be a bigger community, but where they can be the rock star, the superstar, whether they're in kindergarten or fourth grade, particularly important as these kids get into adolescence. It's a tough time to be a kid when you're in adolescence anyway, and all the more important to be able to find that area where you can be validated by your peers, because if struggling over on one side of the scale with academics, and then they can be the rock star outside of there, that boosts their confidence beyond words. And then they feel like, I can do this in other parts of my life. This isn't all that I am over here. All that I am is all of this. So there's a balance. So it's super important because on the flip side of it, if we they don't have something that they can be super good at or they can shine or their superpower, whatever we're going to call it, golf or whatever it is, then there's this pulling back and feeling like I can't be good anywhere. And that's dreadful. It's awful. And that by itself is a huge, what we call joy robber, joy and confidence robber. When we can't find something where these kids can get a little success. See, what we're talking about to build confidence, you have success. I talk about giving kids more vitamin S. How do we give them the vitamin S that they need in order to build their confidence? And that's our job as parents and clinicians. Mm -hmm. Many daily doses of vitamin S. And the vitamin S is we're looking at success. Okay. I figured you were going to tell us somewhere along the line. (laughs) I was thinking superpower. No. Yeah. Okay. Success. The success success. is vitamin S. Success is vitamin S. Yes. And look at the importance because let's face it. If a child doesn't feel confident about their skills, they can have the highest IQ on the planet. But if they don't feel confident about that, if they are moving backwards or retreating from that because they don't have the confidence to share that with others, then it's as if they don't have it at all. So they can have every skill, every ability, but without having that confidence in themselves, they're not going to be able to shine or show it or enjoy it. That's another point of this is 
enjoyment, having the joy in life to say, wow, I do have this skill. I do have this talent. I can shine. I can share it with others and feel the happiness that it brings you. You know, it's not easy to get up for these kids if they're feeling different as it is, and then putting on a different kind of face as they go into an academic setting where they don't feel that they have the skills to achieve. But with confidence and having that ability to say, okay, one step at a time, I'll have this goal, like my little golfer there, one goal to be able to swing, go straight down that course. And the same thing with academics. Let's go slowly. Let's take one step at a time. I can make this. I can achieve this. And that's what we want to build from the ground up so that every child has that feeling of confidence and joy. And they know that they are valuable and somebody that can contribute to others and can make it whatever they want to, whatever that goal is for themselves. Mm-hmm. That's important. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking about this from a stamina perspective. You know, we're in a world where we all want it now. We want it yesterday. We want it immediately. And this is, we're asking them to be introspective over time. And they're going to need that parent or caretaker or you know, a sibling or grandparent or a good friend, I would think, you know, like you were saying, you know, to bring in, you know, their surrounding, their, you know, circle, their community of support and acknowledging their advancement. And then maybe they go back one step and then maybe they go forward two steps. But I would think there's going to have to be other people there to help and support and guide. For sure. hundred percent. Yeah. So are we as therapists, we can address so much during therapy. And as we're working with speech sounds or language or fluency or voice or whatever, I mean, there certainly are steps involved in that. And we can bring this philosophy into that. But also I would think as far as learning in the classroom or their sports skills or whatever, that somebody is going to have to help them with that. Do we say, hey, parent, hey, teacher, do we, you know, spread this around? <laughs> you know, or how do we do that? What do we do, you know, in regards to generating support? Well, you'll see that in the introduction of the book, at the very summary, I said, it's our hope that as IEP team members sit around a table and write goals and objectives for reading, spelling, and math, that they include a goal and objective for confidence and joy. And I mean, we just put it right out there like that. But I feel that because of our code of ethics, it talks about how we have to address, we are ethically bound to address the welfare of this clientele that we serve. And so when you look up welfare and the health, we're talking about social, emotional, and psychological, and so forth. So we can direct it head on and say, okay, well, we have an IEP team. Let's look at this as a team who's involved with the care of this child. So who's the team? The team is a teacher, an SLP, a psychologist, a resource person. You've got special education in there, perhaps. You also have a principal or an administrator. And so you've got a Right there, you have a team that we can say, what are we all going to do consistently to boost this child's confidence? So that begins with developing success strategies. When I write a written report, when I've evaluated a child, instead of recommendations and the term, you know, under where you have findings and recommendations, instead of recommendations, I, I write success strategies so that we can all be committed to how can we help this child feel success without it they're not going to get the confidence so in answer to your question i think it begins with how we talk around an iep table and how we start with baby steps and sometimes 
baby steps need their own baby steps. So we move in little bitty, itty bitty steps, all the while making sure that each step is successful so that the next one can be successful and the next one and so forth. But it starts around, everything starts around the table. I think this is a transformational concept. And in order to transform, we've got to be around a table and we're all committed to the same values and goals. I also look at this from a different angle as one working from looking at the family unit and looking at what I call success teams or what we call in our book, I call them stellar teams. So how do you create a stellar team to work with you for the welfare of yourself, your family, including your child? So it's not necessarily what we're looking at when we think of IEP, but it's something that can assist the family to look at who in their life, who in their community, who in their in their own world are they engaging with on a regular basis that has the welfare of their own child at heart. And that could be an SLP, that could be their pediatrician, that can be the coach that's coaching them in golf, let's say, or in any sport, that can be a pastor, that can be anyone that has the desire to see this child succeed. And so in our book, one of the things that we go through is the different types of points of who would you select to be on a team? Which are the people in this community of yours? And also, how do you go about asking? Because what I have found is that parents are lacking their own skills for many of them, and they don't know where to start. They Some parents don't even have IEPs for some of our kids that have learning differences. So they won't be sitting around the table with these psychologists or special ed teacher because they're pretty much on their own, knowing that, wait a minute, there's something different about my child, but I'm not getting the support I need to help this go further, to help my child feel successful, feel the confidence. So it's looking at that, who's in their life. And there was a group that we formed with for one family and with her son, who was a bit older. And you, you can even have the child themselves in the support, in the stellar group as well. And this child wanted his dog to be part of the group. He felt that that dog gave him so much support that he wanted to include his own pet to come and join the meeting. So you can invite, you can have the child themselves say, who would they like to invite to this group? And then through it in our book, we list out points of what they can do, what would be the questions the parents should be asking, who would be the leader, how would you develop consensus and all the different areas that are much necessary or much needed to have this stellar group that can then support the parent and then can support the child. And that's our focus is supporting them both. Because again, we have found that many parents cannot do it alone. They lack their own strength and their own confidence and they need guidance and direction. So this gives them their own support system as well. And it does help them through whatever they need to go through to get to the point where their child is feeling happy, their child is succeeding, and their child has that vitamin S with them at all times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that vitamin S is going to flow over not only into the speech goals and, and communication, but into hopefully their academics, hopefully how they interact with their friends, hopefully their behavior. Yeah. I mean, your confidence and joy is kind of the foundation, isn't it? Oh, for sure. For sure. hundred mm -hmm. percent. Are you taking advantage of our new handy feature, the certificate tracker? Keep a record of all your CEUs, not just for any of the 750 audio and video courses here at SpeechTherapyPD.com, but from anywhere. Upload your certificates and voila, you have an organized, all-in-one place record of all your CEUs. Cool. I think it'd, it'd be a good thing that we talk about like 
Confidence and Joy Robbers. I was thinking about going there next because I bet there's several of them that we need to keep our eyes out for. And how do we nip those in the bud? What do we do with them? Tell us about the robbers. First, we have to identify what they are. And again, it's relative. I mean, struggles are on a continuum. But for children that really, truly do struggle day to day, to acquire and master, particularly reading and spelling. Those seems to be the the biggies when they're in kindergarten through third, right? But it's when they really have a hard time and maybe they don't fall low enough to have an IEP or to have support services. So they have to go every day and do the same thing and they're not succeeding. So then there's a little anxiety about school now, some, I don't want to go to school. And they're going and they're trying. So some of the big ones that I see, and you'll see them in our book, is you need to try harder. You need to be happier. You have to change your attitude. You have to listen. You have to pay attention. Those are confidence and joy robbers because they're trying despite their best efforts, having to stay in at recess or when when kids need to be out moving and jumping and enjoying nature or whatever, they have to stay in or they're told they're too slow. So they have to go sit in the administrator's office to get their work done or they're being punished or a teacher said, how can you, you, had, you knew this yesterday. And you don't know it today. Or they're given extra homework. Those are confidence and joy robbers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It is. It is. And I've, I mean, being in the schools, I've seen it time and time and time again. And the kids just get further and further away from success and from their desire to even try. So, and I want you to finish your thought. But could you also tack this on as a speech language pathologist in the schools? Part of what I did through the years is I would just type up a little something, put it on a piece of paper, run it off and stick it in there, you know, in the email or in their cubby or whatever in the teachers and say, here's some interesting information that might be helpful for you. Because, you know, there's the robbers and say, here's the joy robbers. and. You know, just say, hey, this is something that I found that might be helpful for you. So I don't know if you know that would work or no, not. No, I mean, that's a perfectly good suggestion because as SLPs in the public school, you get to see this, especially if they're doing RTI and you're in the classroom and you get to see the first, the first level of a struggling student and the impact. For a lot of them, they feel embarrassed. They take on the mantle of shame. And once a child does that, that's a huge confidence and joy robber. Huge. Huge. Just huge. If they struggle to read and they're asked to read out loud and they know that, and somebody knows that they can't read out loud well, that's a huge, I mean, it's just huge. And so they will hold back. They'll do anything not to be called on, right? So we have it's the adults in their life we are the ones that has to be responsible for making sure that that doesn't happen that they are not robbed from confidence and joy it can be a tone of voice it can be a look it could be you know a facial expression just an accidental roll of the eyes and whoops that child will feel it and mhm They'll, mm-hmm. they'll just shut down. I mean, that, right. that that will cause them to shut down. I know as an SLP, when I was working in the school districts, one of the things that I've done, um, and that's actually in the other book that I have too, is looking at what can we as SLPs bring into the session for these children that we are working with. And some of the ideas that I have is the idea of using affirmations, is looking at our own kids that we're 
serving with, you know, going through the beginning of the class, even I'm great. I am a friend. I can, you know, I am kind. I am whatever. And start with affirmations for the children. So you're building up their own confidence and feeling that they are they're not just going there for speech where, oh, gee, I can't say the word or, oh, no, I can't read or I'm having problems. But no, no, no. Let's get them in. And normally, you know, we typically we have more than one in a group and do something that's affirmational where it builds up their confidence. Another thing that's also very good is breathing, where before you start the session, you take a little check of the children that are there. And the breath, the most often we all hold our breath. We're not relaxing. We're not breathing deeply. And just by breathing, you're changing your brain chemistry. And that can also change how you feel about yourself. So releasing some better endorphins will help you relax more. And actually, as you relax more and you are breathing more deeply, you actually have better ability to learn. So you're helping them feel more relaxed. You're helping yourself relax too, because as you're offering the breathing strategies, you're getting it yourself. And then you're helping them feel more comfortable in their own skin and ready to do some more learning. So these are some ways that an SLP can actually increase the endorphins in their own sessions and make the kids feel better about themselves and make the therapist feel better also. Because if you know what we all know, working in any kind of school or a hospital setting, we are busy, we are giving out, we are working very diligently and purposefully to make changes and ones that are going to better all of our clients. And so these are things that we can do for ourselves as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I like that. The kids come in, maybe you have a group and they've been busy and running around and, you know, going from class to class, or maybe they went to a an assembly or they went out to recess and came back and, you know, school moves on. It's all about moving and they come into therapy and you just sort of calm things down and you just sort of, you know, have them sit there quietly and breathe and think and focus and sort of separate all that has happened previously in that day. And then they're ready to move into that 25 minutes that are left. That makes total sense to me. And the, you know, and the breathing and all of that. And that makes total sense. The affirmations, I really like those. And I've done those in the past. And there are children. I remember working with a fourth grader and this was in the school here in Georgia. And he just, oh, he's the sweetest little boy. I, I won't say his name, but he was a sweet little boy. And he just tried, tried, tried to learn to read. And I remember him saying, Mrs. Beauchart, when is it my turn to learn to read? And he'd say, I'm not a reader. And so I thought, you know, we're going to start there. And so I held up the, you know, and a couple of words that I knew he was going to be able to decode. And I said, you're a reader. Say that with me. You know, I can read. And there's something about just acknowledging that, and that's a beginning and plants the seed. So yes, affirmations, I'm a big believer of affirmations. I need to do that. In fact, <laughs> you know, I can write this new course, <laughs> you know, right. I just, you know, I, I can finish this book. <laughs> Sometimes exactly. I need yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The robbers make so much sense to me. I, yes. You know, and as you were listing them, one of the ones that is just so obvious to me in the schools is that some teachers, and I love teachers, some of my best friends are teachers. It's not to disparage teachers, but many times they'll take that one child, and usually it's my kid on my caseload, and they'll just separate that child. Usually it's a boy for whatever reason, you know, and they'll just, you know, put his desk over off to the side away from the group. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how would I feel if I were that child? It's not like it's motivating, you know, to be over there. Oh, no. And you know something? Elaine and I have had numerous conversations about this. And that is, I have never seen a child that doesn't want to be successful, ever. 
particularly when you look at those little preschoolers, they can't get enough learning. They're just like little sponges. Teach me, teach me, teach me. And then they go to school and it's discovered that they've got a learning difference. And all of a sudden it comes to a screeching halt. So when a child is excluded, and that's exclusion, when they're put off, their desk is moved, or they're put to a table where they can't disturb others, it's a terrible thing for them. It's very shaming. And a lot of the kids with learning problems they may be disruptive. If they have, let's say they've got a processing problem, an auditory processing problem, and they can't process input, then they can't attend to what they don't understand. They're too young to have the social grace to look like they're listening and paying attention. So they're punished. And it's very hard. And then that negative self-talk comes up, which is another joy and confidence robber. And so I think that we can be instrumental in helping people understand that really the foundation for learning is being confident that you can learn, even if you learn a different way. Because once that starts, it's hard to undo it. And I... I'm telling you, I've seen it when it's intentional in creating confidence and joy. It works. It absolutely can happen. And yeah, I feel that it's incumbent upon us to make sure that children don't lose their confidence and they don't lose their joy and their little confidence and joy warriors and their resilience peeks through. Yes, However, yes. we have to do that because yeah. I think it's a human right to have the opportunity to feel success and to be confident in however you learn. We can't take that away. And we can, and, you know, we can and we do, but we shouldn't be we doing shouldn't. that. We should no. not be doing that. And it happens every day. And, you know, you look at kindergartners and there they are. I mean, kindergarten is joyful and kindergartners are joyful and you know teacher asks a question and every hand goes up you know whether the kid knows the answer or not wants to participate call me call on me call me call me 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 me. yes exactly yeah they want to participate they want to be part of it they want to you know they want to learn and as you say and I know I think on the first page of your book I read that and it's you know and I underlined it all children are different. Yeah, thank goodness. You know, we don't want to all want to be the same. And all children want to succeed. I really believe that. And then we just sort of rob them of that. And it is, it's criminal. <laughs> it totally is criminal. Now, I'm here in your book, and I got pages 24 and 25 flagged. Five easy ways to encourage confidence, joy, and success. Okay. Encourage learning by using the way your child processes information best. Yep. What does that mean? And we can kind of bring in other professionals or maybe older friends or siblings and parents here. But okay. So so the thing here is this is where we need parents know their children best, right? So it's being able to ask parents what's the best way for your child to learn? And that's usually the teacher is the one who determines that. And then they share that. We collaborate so that we make sure that we're we're really using all senses. But a recent Stanford study showed that people learn best by watching. 85%, 85% of our learning is by watching. But we transfer information from mouth to ear. So by speaking and watching, and doing is really, we all benefit from multi-sensory learning. But how do we deliver it? Do you do it in combination? Do you do one at a time? Do you say it and then show it? Maybe, but that's the best way to learn. Or how does it connect? When children are exposed to learning, there's the survival brain and the learning brain. And if a child feels threatened at all, they go into survival brain. 
And that's when the cortisol level goes up. Mm -hmm. You can't learn when your survival brain is outranking the learning brain. So these strategies help to us understand, let's keep the learning brain going so that they're not feeling like they have to be in survival brain. And that's, oh, that's the, not in the book, but yeah, but that's what the breathing yeah. does. It yeah, takes you exactly. out of survival mode and puts you exactly. And it puts you into that learning mode. So you're getting rid of all that midbrain and all that survival fight, flight, fright, freeze, all of that. And you're relaxing and you're coming back into that, the frontal cortex. But I wanted to add to this also what Deb was saying is when we look at children or ourselves, if you think about yourself, we all learn in a different way that it was very important for Deb and I to have the book include the title Learning Differences. We didn't want to say learning disorders. We didn't want to say learning disabilities. We just we wanted to make sure that we said learning differences because each one of us are different. And when you're asking about the learning differences, what is that all about? We all learn different ways. Some of us are more kinesthetic. We have to feel to maybe to learn something. You can show me, but unless I do it, I won't be able to really learn it. Or some of us have to see it, the more visual learners. So that's what we're talking about is, do you know what kind of learner that you are? When does that information come to you and you can absorb it more easily? And for me, I know I'm definitely a kinesthetic learner and a mover, and that's part of my nature. And I remember one of the stories that I had in the book was about this little boy that was having difficulty just holding a spoon and moving the spoon to his mouth. And by using more of the kinesthetic movement of something that he loved, which was more like a little, it was a tea that you can make a hole in into paper. He did that a lot. And we then put it in a garbage truck and he became the garbage cleaner and all this other stuff. But that's how he ended up learning how to hold his spoon by having that kinesthetic movement. And so we look at children with speech and language issues. One of the things I used to do with those kids also was include movement. Many times I would have them move for them to also say a word or learn language. It wasn't just the word under, but let's get under the table or let's put something under a piece of paper. And that was the way they learned. It was through their movement sense. So that's what we were talking about is how do the children, how do they learn best? What's their processing that's going to make the biggest difference for them and then make those changes more easily for them? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so this is something for, like in an IEP, I could see where the school psychologist would be very valuable with that piece of information. But also sometimes the teachers would recognize, hey, he does pick up or she does pick up easier when, you know, he or she is, you know, standing up and moving or has to become involved in some way. So yeah, to stress that to the parent and to the child. Okay, good, good, good. So number two of the five easy ways to encourage confidence and joy and success is create learning experiences that include your child's interests. I love this one. It's involving them. And it's not just saying, okay, we're going to do this, but it's sort of checking in with them, right? Yeah. So what people can do, like if a child's like having difficulty reading or without, let's just say, associating sounds with letters when you have to do that phonological awareness piece or blending sounds, let's say. So I've done it with Legos, with kids that are really super with Legos. And I will, with a Sharpie, I will put a letter on, or yes, a letter on one Lego, another letter on another, and another letter on another. And then they assemble them so they get to assemble their Legos as they're assembling, learning that whole blending thing. So you can do anything. In the day, do you all remember garbage patch kid cards? Or there's cabbage patch? No, they were garbage pail. Oh, they were garbage pail. Oh, I don't they remember were, that. 
Oh, I remember the cabbage patch. Quite, I'm, I'm dating <laughs> myself. It's like 20 I something years ago. Too. <laughs> but with so kids, garbage patch, who were, they were, were they? Garbage pail. And so garbage pail. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it's kind of like what comic books are now. You know, kids might not be able to read the books that are given in school for reading, but you get them attracted to reading with comic books. They'll, parents will say, my child won't read a book, but they'll read a comic book. So back in the day, we had those garbage pail kids and I would bring those in and they they weren't raunchy, but they flirted with kind of like talk that kids day to day wouldn't be doing, you know, but you could get by with it. And the kids, they loved it. So the, that's what I mean. You bring what they're, what's interesting to them. If a child is interested in, I got a lot of, lot of little boys reading with baseball books and we'd find age level appropriate baseball. But the fact of the matter is there are certain things that children are going to have to learn. They are going to have to learn to read. They are going to have to learn to spell and they are going to have to do basic math. So we have to be creative. And I find that being a creativity detective has worked well for me over the years so that we depart from what's standardized and determine what's interesting to it, what, what their little passion is and share it with the parents, share it with the teachers, share it with the group that's involved with this child. It's super important because what we are imposing our adult interests and values and expectations on children. It would be like someone coming in and saying, Deb, you have to learn engineering. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> dude, I don't, I have no interest in engineering. No, thanks. But if you show me how it's relevant to me today and what my interests are, I'd be all over it. So we have to look at it through a child's perspective. Sure. Of course. Yeah. You know? I totally understand and I totally agree. Um, there was a form that I created years ago and I would do it at the beginning of the school year. And I think it was called Let's Talk About You. And I would do it with a group. And, you know, we would go through just a few handful of questions and just finding out about them and what they like to do, what they didn't like to do, if they like to read, what TV they watched, what they were good at, all of those kinds of things so that I could you know, find all sorts of topics that they would, you know, whether it was speech or whether it was language, or maybe their pets, we could find articles about pets, or books about pets, that kind of thing, so that I could capture their attention, as I'm trying to encourage them to do their language task or their speech task or whatever it is that we were doing. But yeah, well, I mean, it that, makes total you sense. Were, you were building their confidence, because what you were doing made them feel like they mattered to you. Yeah. And that's really the essence of it is that they matter enough for you to know about them. That's awesome. Yeah. And they were, they mattered to me. Of course. All right. And they matter to all of us. And that's sure. why we go into the field. Because that's right. We do want to make a difference and we do want to honor who they are and to increase and expand their ability to communicate and to make those connections with yeah. everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's so very important to not just have a plan and do it, but to really personalize what we do and to do our therapy, our instruction intentionally. And I think that we would probably have fewer speech language pathologists that are leaving the profession, you know, if you want to just get right down to it, because there are people that are leaving. And I think part of the reason is that, oh, I did my therapy plan and I did it and it didn't happen and I don't know what else to do and it's not working. And, eh, you know, I just, you know, all these kids, I don't know what to do. But when you actually get into the person and you personalize, then it's good for everybody. Well, people want to know that they're valued and that's right. Sure. Absolutely. And if you value them and every day it's intentional that you add value, however we do what we do. But I think the greatest value that we can give any human being is the opportunity for success and to grow and for them then to have the confidence to then grow and grow and grow and not be afraid 
that learning means failure and learning means I can't do it. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you want to add before we begin to wrap up? Either of you? I think that just the idea that living a joyful life is something that we can all aspire to and we all want for our children and we want for ourselves as well. So whether you are that child in the speech language therapy session or you are the SLP or the SLPA yourself, being joyful in those moments are something that you can achieve. You really can. I'm sorry to hear that many people are leaving the profession. I know Deb and I have been in this profession for a very long time, and it's something I thoroughly enjoy and have that happiness and joy every day. So I think, again, if the individuals, the slippers, the SLPs can find their own comfort level, that peace and quiet first, and build on that, that will then instill that confidence in themselves that they can make a difference in the lives of those that they're serving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just want to tag onto that. Yes, everyone can fire to be joyful, but it really has to be. We live in a very crazy, technologically driven world right now. And people are trying to make up for losses during the two years of COVID. So I feel that confidence, success, confidence, and joy really need to be intentional and strategic so that we don't get distracted by this stuff that's going on in our world right now. Yes. Yes. I fully agree. I just, yeah, we have to focus on our kids. Mm-hmm. We absolutely future. do. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's lots of things going on right now that are robbing the confidence, the success, the joy, total robbing. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of sad, but, and that's one of the reasons I really enjoyed being a speech language pathologist in the schools and private practice and so on, was that I got to see the kids up close and personal. I didn't have 25, 30 kids in my class. I had maybe one, sometimes I had one, And I saw them for maybe 15 minutes, you know, but a lot of times I had maybe three, maybe five, which is a very, it's different than having 25 or 30. You can get to know them and they can get to know you. And I think that we can impact them even beyond the speech and language and fluency and voice. And we can not only that, we have to because of all the social emotional issues now that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the Mm -hmm. fact is that, again, some of that research shows that developing that relationship with the child, that one person, and we as an SLP who see a child on a regular basis can be that one person in that child's life who they can relate to, who can they feel they can feel trust with, and they can then be their social emotional well-being can stay more intact rather than falling apart because there's no one there who cares who's listening to what they have to say we are in an ideal position to be that person to be mm-hmm. in the person who listens in their life amen i totally totally agree yes yes and we need to do that we need to realize and recognize that that can be a role that we need to play. We can and we need to do that, especially in this crazy world right now. Well, I appreciate you, both of you, so much. And from what you give, what you know, but also how you give in your courses, but also in your books and how you share and for coming on the podcast, (laughs) your insights. I just appreciate you so very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon. You are a true hero in my mind and all that you have done and do. So I really am grateful for you. Ah, well, that's so very nice of you. Thank you. Thank you to both of you. And in closing, I do want to thank all of you for being here and for tuning in and for continuing to get the word out about the SpeechLink podcast. And in a few days, you will be able to access this course through speechtherapypd.com and you can watch it again if you want. And if you so desire, access the audio-only version. 
on most popular podcast apps like Apple Podcast and Spotify and Podbean. And thank you too for your supportive comments and your good reviews. And thank you again, Deb and Elaine. And thank you to all of you. I hope you know just how much you are appreciated, all of you. Thank you for all that you do for your therapy kids. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. I'm thrilled you tuned into the speech link. I hope it was helpful. Just leave a quick review and subscribe to be a part of a select group that receives every episode. For CEUs, go to speechtherapypd.com. And for everything else, visit charboshart.com. There's free materials, articles, books, and my blog, Therapy Matters. Thank you for all you do. See you next time.